um, when we're looking at how we want to frame the weekend and what we want to put together, there's so many different directions you can go. And at the same time, we don't want to, you know, you, you guys are here for just a couple of days. We want it to be relaxing and we don't want it to be like, you know, the old saying, you're drinking water from a fire hydrant where you're just getting, you know, information shoved at you and you're trying to figure out what's practical and what you can use. And, uh, and so what we've, what, here's what we've tried to do is, is through the course of the weekend, if, if I could do a quick review, um, if you're, if you were a student like me, you constantly needed reviews because you had. Uh, serious short memory loss. And uh, if we go back to Friday night, what we've tried to do is, is primarily weave together one main point in each session and then have all of those woven into the, the, the picture of marriage being a picture of Christ's relationship with the church and the gospel. Okay, so going back to Friday night, we, we were in 1 Corinthians 15 and we looked at the, the endear, enduring nature of the gospel, if you'll remember, in our lives and how that works in marriage. And we were in First Corinthians 15 and we looked at the past tense of the gospel. You remember this and that as it equates to conversion. And then and we drew a dot and said there's a line that then goes forward. And that's the ongoing work of the gospel. That's your relationship to your spouse. That's specifically, though, in the context of your relationship to Christ. So as your life goes forward, I guess from where you're looking, as your life goes forward, it's going forward in the context of going forward in your individual relationships to Christ. And if that's going forward in a biblical way and you're being sanctified, which is that word we looked at where you're being made more into the image of Christ, then your marriage will fit into that. And so as you go forward individually, you'll go forward together and you'll be both being made more into the likeness of Christ. Okay. And one, one point or thought is, as each of you pursue Christ, you know, there's the old triangle illustration, you know, but, but to even make that more streamlined, as you pursue Christ and, and as your spouse pursues Christ, you're going to be in step with one another. And at times when one is, is, is in step here, the other is going to uh, at other times be in step here and you're continually pursuing Christ and in step together. And, and the gospel then is the, the eternal picture of relationship with us to Christ. And then your marriage fits into that. So our marriage, then we said Friday night has an opportunity to be rooted in the gospel. And throughout the course of your life, if, if you're married 50 years, 70 years, whatever your marriage can reflect, we have the opportunity for our marriages to reflect the relationship of Christ to the church, which is beautiful. It's, it's fantastic. It's a, it's a great gift. And also, uh, would point out a couple of things. One, just because you stay married, doesn't mean your marriage reflects Christ in the most pure and, 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 and amazing way that it could possibly. So I think it's important that we find a balance that there needs to be, because we looked last night at the covenant love of Christ, the covenant um, love of the gospel and how in that text that we looked at last night that we'll read again this morning, Ephesians 5, the mystery of that Paul references. He says, this is a mystery. What's he talking about? The covenant love of Christ that before man had sinned, before woman had sinned, God had already put in place a covenantal love that would be greater than that sin. Okay. And that's a mystery. How could, how could he know? How could he do this? Well, it's because Christ had already put it in place. He already, he, he had already planned for the fall and the division that would come in marriage. So there is, there is a, a needed element to your marriage, to my marriage, where the covenant is what drives it. So when I understand the covenantal bind 
uh, that is on my marriage, then it will eliminate any idea of leaving or ending the marriage. It's a covenant. And so it, because it's a covenant, I don't have the authority over that covenant. That covenant has authority over me. So we used the, we used then going back to Friday night, the parachute illustration, you can't cut the strings on the parachute. So then all you can do is what suppress the truth. You need to suppress certain aspects of the covenant. And, and, and so there is a need to remain married, married, no matter how difficult it is, because that's what covenant love does. But we need to be careful that we don't just say, well, we're good. We succeeded because we stayed married. Because what we need to do is we need to say, how do we reflect the gospel in our marriage? And how do we reflect Christ in our marriage? And uh, last night, then we got into, um, and hopefully you, you, yesterday morning was, was beneficial for you, um, the different sessions that you set in. And I know that in the, in the second session, when, when, I was, when I had the men and little had the, the ladies, um, again, we were, we were continuing that idea that it's the covenant grace, the covenant love that is sealed in the original marriage that God designed. Okay. So your marriage is preceded by God's marriage or God's idea of marriage. You, he brought you into that. Okay. So, um, we, we then last night moved into the, the, the picture of what that covenantal love looks like in before the marriage. I mean, before the first sin, there was no shame. Remember this, there was no shame, no guilt. So after the fall, how does the covenantal love work? It works to remove shame and remove guilt because that's what the grace of God does. That's, and that's the picture of the gospel. It alleviates. So the question was, are you alleviating the guilt that your spouse will already deal with from her own sin or his own sin? Or are you heaping reproach onto your spouse? Are you doing everything you can to remove guilt? Because that's what Christ does. There's no condemnation in Christ. He removes our sin. He removes our guilt. He removes our shame. Okay. So that as a quick review brings us to the final session this morning where, uh, again, just really one main point that we'll look at this morning. Um, one main idea, and, and we'll go uh, back to Ephesians 5. And I had said the first night we'll start here, but we'll jump right out of it into another text. Each session we'll go back to Ephesians 5. This morning we will just be in Ephesians 5, and, and that will be our primary text. Um, Ephesians 5.22, it says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself uh, its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the words, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, uh, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become flesh. We looked at that last night. And then he says, this is where he calls it a mystery. This mystery is profound. What is the mystery? The covenantal love of the gospel. The covenantal love of Christ. That's the mystery. Uh, um, Amazing love, how can it be that you, my God, would die for me? That's the mystery. How, how we spend the rest of our life exhausting that question, and we'll never, we'll never totally grasp it. That's the mystery of the gospel, that God will love us in spite of our sin and even through our sin. 
However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So here's what, here's what you find is God's structure or God's uh, building blocks for what the marriage and the home is supposed to look like. This morning's message is going to be super simple and actually fairly short because this is what it all comes down to. And, and, but it was the, it's the kind of thing that I don't want to stick into another message. And it's this. Submission by a wife and leadership by a husband is not the result of the fall. What the fall did is it created tension in that structure. Okay, before the fall, before sin, before Adam allowed his wife, before before he didn't, before he failed. Remember, we we talked last night specifically at one point about how Adam's sin of commission was preceded by the sin of omission. David's sin of adultery and murder was preceded by the sin of omission. He wasn't, he wasn't off to war with his men. He wasn't doing what he's supposed to be doing. So when we, when we fail to do what God has called us to do, when we fail to carry the responsibility that God has given us, then what follows will be sin of commission. So we sin and we act on sin, but what precedes that is the sin of omission, which is neglecting to fulfill the responsibility that God's given us. Remember that? So we go back to the first sin, the first, the first marriage and the fall that occurred. Adam didn't work and keep and protect his home. He didn't work and keep and protect his wife. As a result, sin came into that first marriage and sin came into the world. And the Bible teaches us that in Adam, we have all sinned. In Adam and Eve's failure, we have all failed. So our failure is rooted in that. Okay. And what it's important to understand in terms of dealing with the the role of husband and wife, the roles that we play, is that God's ideas in Ephesians 5 and, and passages like Colossians 3, those ideas also precede the fall. God didn't create man and woman and have this thing in motion and then he got blindsided by their sin so that he then scrambled and put together a new picture of marriage. God's idea of marriage, his picture of marriage, what he has ordained for us to be, for you to be in your marriage, for me to be in my marriage, for for husband and wife to be, precedes the fall. So God in his covenantal grace before sin came into the world and divided the first man and woman had already made provision for what marriage should look like, both pre-fall and post-fall. Okay, and, and so submission, wives, submission, when we hear that word, we tense up and we get kind of freaked out. And we're going to look at scripturally what that, word, what, what that word is a real picture of. But submission was not a result of the fall. It wasn't, well, Eve messed up, ate the fruit, then deceived her husband. Therefore, she's got to submit to him the rest of her life. It was, submission was not a consequential result of her sin. It wasn't punishment or sin. So wives, preach to yourself. Biblical submission is not punishment because Eve failed. Guys with me? This is pre-fall God's design, okay? So what is it then a picture of? It's a picture of the Trinitarian existence of God. We've already looked this week at how marriage is a picture of the gospel. And within the roles that husbands and wives play and the way that the pieces fit together, emotionally, not just physically, but emotionally and uh, spiritually, the way the pieces fit together in the relationship should indeed reflect the Trinitarian nature of God, which is this. Christ, though equal to the Father, Christ, though equal to the Father, God is equal to the Son, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Equal, in essence, equal, each of them. Christ is equal to the Father. Christ is not less than the Father. He is equal to the Father, yet he submits to the Father in perfect harmony and fellowship. 
So throughout Christ's ministry, one of the things that we'll see is Christ submit to the will of the Father and say, well, not, you know, it's not my will, but the Father's will, or it's not for me to know. It's the fa- only the Father in heaven knows. And, and he continually submits to the will of the Father. And then he points us to submit to the will of the Father. So when, when we're commanded in Scripture for wives to submit to their husbands, it's to be a picture of Christ. You, you have a, there, there's this opportunity, this amazing opportunity to reflect Christ in that submission. In addition to that, there is a word that God uses when he creates Adam and Eve and he's, he's first created Adam and he's talking about Adam, talking to Adam. And he says, it's not good for Adam to be alone. Remember this ladies, if you've ever gone out of town for three, four days and left, you know, dad in charge, you amen that verse in, in Genesis two, it is not good for man to be alone. Okay. I've, you know, I, I remember one year, you know, I made the mistake of walking into the cabin or the, the housing quarters where our intern guys stay. And I said, okay, something's got to give either. I'm going to kill all of you. Um, and we're going to start from scratch and find new people, or you have to, you know, and maybe pick up your dirty underwear instead of, you know, otherwise they need to be burned. I mean, it's just foul. You know, it's like, if you've ever been around high school or college boys, you go, maybe that evolution thing is, is, is viable. You know, maybe, maybe what we're seeing here. So it's not good for a man to be alone. It's not good for a young man to be alone. It's not good. It's not good. So it was God's design. Okay. So God says, what did the, what did God then say? I will make a helper fit for him. Okay. So the second picture that, that is Trinitarian in the way that we understand the, the position and, and, and the responsibility and the relationship of a wife to a husband is first submission, which looks like Christ and the father in that submission. And second then is, uh, the word helper, which in scripture is more than once used to refer to the Holy spirit. So Jesus in John 16 says, it's better for me to go away because when I go away, I'm going to send to you the helper. So what's he saying? He's saying the greatest thing that can happen is for you to have the Holy spirit. The greatest gift I can give you is the Holy spirit. The Holy spirit is the third person of the Trinity. So in that word, Christ compares the position and the relationship of a wife to the husband as the position and the relationship of the Holy spirit to the Trinitarian Godhead. This is an amazing and deep and rich picture. And what the fall does, ladies, is it tarnishes and perverts that so that you don't want. It's not that I'm not going to submit to my husband at the core of it. It's I don't want to be a reflection of Jesus Christ. I want to be who I want to be. And, and, and I don't want to be a reflection of the Holy Spirit. I want to be who I want to be. That's the worldly picture of rebellion against God's structure and design for marriage. And you see it. You work with folks like this. And, 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 and you see it in secular um, media. And you see, um, even in our world today, how biblical marriage is trivialized. And then at the core, if we're honest with ourselves, this is what we struggle with. Because the result of the fall is a rejection of God's design. We don't want to deal with what God designed. We don't want to do what God designed. We don't want to submit to what God designed. Okay, but in doing it God's way, we're able to reflect Christ, exalt Christ and be pictures of the unification of the Holy Spirit and the Trinitarian Godhead. So we, we, we it is very Christ like and Christ honoring. But then he continues and he, and he addresses the men and he says in verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for. So now he gets in, in Colossians chapter three. In verse, I think, 19 and 20, he says, husbands, don't be harsh with your wives. So he paints a a, a positive and a negative. Here's what you're to do, and here's what you're not to do. You're to love her and sanctify her as Christ 
loved and sanctified the church. What did Christ do for the church? He gave himself up for her. I think uh, I heard a pastor say, we're to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Husbands are are to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the marriage relationship. But we do well to remember that the hands and feet of Jesus are pierced. They're wounded. They're bruised. They're cut. And so it's a sacrificial love. It's a sacrificial serving. What did Jesus say to the church? He said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. And a husband who is not serving his wife, honoring his wife, putting her needs and desires above his needs and desires is not a husband who is reflecting Christ. But in that, that husband does not have the excuse or the responsibility or the authority to not lead his wife because it is God's design that he be the leader. Men, it is your responsibility to set the spiritual tone in your home. It is your responsibility to read the word of God to your family, to read the word of God to your wives. If you as a family are not studying scripture, led by dad, led by the husband, you are not honoring God's picture and structure for marriage. You're not doing it. And, and, and in case you beat yourself up and say, well, I failed miserably. No, when you go home tonight, take up the word of God and read the scripture in your home. That's, it's that simple. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to get a degree. Read the word of God in your home. Read the word of God. Lead. Because when we, when we think about being Christ-like in the way that we serve our wives, in the way that Christ served the church, there is no question about Christ's position in terms of leadership to the church. He leads the church. He's the head of the church. He leads the church, but he serves the church. And what you'll find is for a, for a wife who is honoring Christ to be a helper and, and to submit and to, and to walk hand-in-hand hand with a husband who is serving her and leading in, on God's terms, it works because it's God's plan. It's God's design. This works. At the, at, the, at the heart of a regenerate person, at the core of a regenerate person who wants to honor God, when, when both husband and wife fill these roles, God is honored, and it works. It works. Faithfulness abounds, holiness abounds, and what Paul is telling us in in Ephesians 5, sanctification accelerates, accelerates. Husbands, there's no greater responsibility than to take part in your wife's holiness, to take part in her growth into the image of Christ. Are you doing that? Are you really doing that? Not have you perfected it, not are you as good as Jesus, Not not, not are you as perfect as Jesus, but are you doing that? I'm so thankful too that God gives us this picture because uh, I think I think for for women um, it, there's a tendency to identify with Christ in that role of husband and head and Lord. So when I reflect Christ, what she then is able to do is she's just submitting to Christ, and I just become a vessel the Lord uses in that relationship. Because one of the things that's so encouraging to me is to see. Uh, the passion and the love that young ladies that come through this ministry have for the Lord. One of the things that's a difficult thing, I'll just be honest, and, and, and I'm, I'm, it's just my observation, years, two decades of student ministry, young ladies who are passionate about their relationship with Jesus love Jesus without inhibition. Young men who are passionate about their relationship with Jesus are trying to figure out, okay, what's this look like? Because I don't want to be Jesus' girlfriend, you know? I don't want to be, you know, I I have girls say to me all the time, Jesus is my boyfriend. He's going to be my husband until he brings me one. And I'm like, that works. That's great. I talk to my daughters about this, but it's a little different conversation with a young man. Jesus is not your homeboy, uh, but he's not your husband. It's just weird. You know, and, and, and what we try to do with young men is to help them to understand 
Jesus is your general. He's brought you on mission for a kingdom work. There's a war to be waged and a family to be fought for. And you're on task, you're on mission to build a kingdom, to build an Eden, to work and keep and protect what God has entrusted to you because it's a reflection of Christ's eternal kingdom. It's a reflection of that Eden-like kingdom that, that Christ initially created. That's the task of a husband. So when a wife is loving Jesus and seeing him as, a, as, as the great husband and a, and a husband is saying, I'm on task, in pursuit of God's goal for my life, then marriage works. Marriage works. And it's God's design. But we're, we're, it's important that we understand that, that these roles and these structures and the way this all fits together precedes the fall. And what the fall does is it disrupts it. And selfishness comes in on the man's part and selfish, selfishness comes in on the wife's part. And all of a sudden... To, to, to piggyback what we talked about last night with this idea of no shame. Why then was there shame after the fall? Well, what there was was mistrust. She can no longer trust him because he failed in doing what God called him to do. And he can no longer trust her because she failed in doing what God called her to do. So now there's a lack of trust. And what gospel marriage does is it restores that trust because it doesn't restore it from that husband as the source or that wife as the source, but rather it's restored in both instances with Christ as the source. And then we just honor the Lord as we reflect godly marriage, biblical marriage. And the, the last part of that passage in Colossians 3, kind of a parallel passage to this, Paul says that husbands are not to be harsh with their wives. And I think just a word to men, a word to men is that God will hold you responsible for how you lead his, his daughters, for how you love his daughters. He's going to hold you responsible. You don't have the authority to put your hands on her in a physical and abusive way. You don't have the authority to degrade or demean her with your words. You don't have the authority to cut into her flesh, her heart, her spirit, by treating her harshly. It's not just you shouldn't do it. It's that you don't have the authority to do that because your husbandship is a shadow and a temporary picture of the eternal husbandship of God. And God is her father and Christ is her husband. And you better understand that and submit to that authority. Submit to that authority. You don't have the authority not to. As much as you don't have the authority not to lead. Well, I'm just not a leader. I'm just not confident. Or, 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 and, 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 and don't believe the lie. Well, I failed the first 10 years of our marriage. Or I made a mistake, you know, back 15 years ago. And so, you know, she just doesn't trust me. Lead like Christ has told you to lead. Read the word of God. Pray with your family. Worship together. Listen, every part of your responsibility as a husband is to point to Christ. The way you manage finances, the way that you handle your day-to-day -day, uh, living conditions, the, the Eden that you establish points to Christ, and you don't have the authority not to do that. We are called by God to reflect Christ in the way that we do that. And what happens is that when men reflect Christ and do what Christ has called them to do in these areas, wives willfully and joyfully in an excited, in an excited way will submit to that. Because it glorifies and honors the Lord. It brings the Lord honor and glory. It brings the Lord honor and glory. Serve our wives as Christ served and loved the church. That's what we're called to do. And we don't have the authority to do anything different. We don't get to do anything else.
So with that thought as a closing thought and hopefully encouragement and an, and an admonishment, um, I'm going to, I'm going to pray, but, but as we sing this closing time of worship together, think of it, think of biblical marriage as I guess the final thought as we go from this weekend as an honor, it is a gift. It is an honor. And what sin would do is try to convince you what your flesh would push against is it's a chore. It's a task. It's a labor, but not a labor of love. Well, it is, it's a labor of love. And what the world would do and what sin would do and what your flesh would do and what Satan would do is try to drive a wedge that says, no, this is, I mean, just endure this thing. You just got to stick it out. You got to get through this. When, listen, I don't care where you've been. I don't care how bad things have been. Listen, guys, just practically and, and person to person, brother in Christ to brother or sister in Christ, whatever has happened, whatever mistrust has been created, Whatever failure in leadership has been created, whatever dishonesty and deception has gone on, there is redemption still. As long as there's breath in your lungs, there is redemption to be had in your marriage because Christ wants to redeem your marriage continually. The gospel saves you. The gospel is what you stand in. The gospel is that which you are being saved, as we saw on Friday night. It's never too late to honor the Lord. It's never too late to humble yourself and submit to Christ's authority and lordship and seek forgiveness and ask for forgiveness and repent before the Lord and before your spouse if that's what's needed. And we then extend the grace of God to one another as we looked at last night and so fulfill the law of Christ and so fulfill the covenantal love of the gospel. It's never too late. So I'll pray and we'll worship together. Lord, I pray that you would... Take the time that we've had together, that you would burn it and sear it into um, the, the biblical truth, into our hearts and minds, and anything that's not biblical truth that needs to be forgotten. I pray that you would move it away, cast it away, drive it out, and that what would be left is that which is refined in the fire as gold, and that our marriages would be refined in the fire so that they would be as gold and they would reflect the triune existence and relationship of God. Lord, I pray that, that we would understand that our marriage is an opportunity to reflect the mystery of the Trinitarian Godhead, that there is perfect community, perfect fellowship, perfect harmony between Father, Son, and Spirit, and that we can reflect that. I pray that we'd understand that. I pray that we'd understand as dads that the greatest gift we can give to our sons and daughters is to love their mothers well, to serve their mothers, to exalt them, to hold them in highest honor, and I pray that we'd give our children that gift. And the greatest gift we can leave and give to our wives is to lead them as Christ would lead by serving and, 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 and doing away with our desires and needs over their desires and needs. And I pray that we would surrender all of uh, who we are as husbands, wives, and families to the gospel. That would be what defines us. That'd be what we stand in. And that'd be what carries us until we see you in this shadow of the eternal relationship that we'll have with you disappears into the original. And we spend eternity worshiping our God, knowing our God, living in surrender and exaltation. I pray that we'd see our marriages as a reflection, a shadow of that, and we'd honor you. We love you, Jesus. I pray now, Holy Spirit, that you move as we worship the triune God in spirit and in truth and for your glory and your name's sake. Amen.